Now I'm just making noises into the microphone because I can. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm done. Stargazing, a new Stargate podcast with your hosts, Kathy and Mary. Hello. 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 We're back. Yes, we are. We're making another one. Back so soon. I have an important question. Yes. How does O'Neill spell his name? Which O'Neill are we talking about? Ah, you see, you know where I'm going. Yes. Well, last time, last time we had mentioned that he has he spells his name with two L's, but I actually had completely forgotten that the one in the movie only spells it with one. Yeah, I think it. I don't want to. I think it gets mentioned at some point, which I don't know. That's not really a spoiler. I, think it might. I hope, but <laughs> I think it gets mentioned mentioned in the show. Not like, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, I I noticed this because. I was bored in a meeting, so <laughs> I decided, uh, uh, because I was thinking about this, instead of thinking about the stuff they were talking about in the meeting, I was like, you know, I'm going to make a list of the actors who were in both shows, or at least the characters that were in both shows, because I could remember a few of them, but then I thought there might be more than just the three or four we mentioned last time. So that's what I did. So obviously we have O'Neill in both, except that in the movie is one L and in the series it's two L's. And then of course, you know who those are played by Kathy. Yes. So the movie O'Neill is Kurt Russell. Yes. And the TV O'Neill two L's is Richard Dean Anderson. Indeed. Yay. MacGyver. MacGyver fame. Daniel Jackson. Yes. Movie. Movie Daniel Jackson is James Spader. Uh huh. And then the series, do you remember him? Um, God, yes, I do. Michael Shanks. Yes. Kowalski was in both, actually. He was a lieutenant in the movie, and he's a major in the show. Aww. I forgot he actually has a pretty big role. Not, I don't remember how many episodes. He's in a bunch of episodes in the show, um, and I had forgotten that he's in both. I actually am not really familiar with either one. John Deal is in the movie, and then Jay, I hope I'm not saying his last name wrong. It's either Akavone or Akavone, A-C-A-V-O-N-E. Okay. Uh, Ferretti, French Stewart, yes. so Harry, yep. <laughs> is in both, but um, but he is not played by French Stewart. Incoming message from the big giant head. That would be great if he did, <laughs> if he was. I wish he was, but I, it's... Uh, I would like some to see Ferretti played by French Stewart as Harry from Third Rock. <laughs> yes, so would I. That would be fabulous. <laughs> it would just make the show so much better. <laughs> Um, someone named Brent State. He's actually only in two episodes, okay. which reminds me. I don't know if we're counting this, the first two episodes as one episode or two episodes, because that depends on who you're talking to. But I guess we'll get there in a minute yeah. when we get into the actual show. Um, Catherine is in both. Vivica Landfors in the movie and in the series, Viterre Hirshan. Scara is Alexis Cruz in both. Uh, Showery is actually, they spelled her name different in the um, movie from... How yeah. it's spelled in the series, which I hadn't realized. I thought it was just Michael Shanks and everybody pronouncing it differently, ah. but it's S-H-A apostrophe U-R-E, Mili Avital in the movie, and S-H-A apostrophe R-E, uh, Viter Hirshan in the series. Showery versus Share. Yes. There's a rumor that Richard Dean Anderson couldn't pronounce Showery right, but probably it was because of legal reasons that they made these little minor changes like that it just does seem unlikely but yes it's not that hard to say (laughs) the village leader who apparently his name is kasuf which i didn't know last time and he's also called good father a few times by jackson uh eric avari played him in both sarah o'neill spelled with an h uh in the movie but not in the series spelled with, without the h in the series hmm. cecil hoffman in the movie and harley jane kozak in the series and then the last two um richard kind 
Gary Myers um, was not in both. Richard Kind wasn't in both, but there's a character named Myers in both, although I don't know if it's the exact same character because it's credited as Gary Myers in the movie, but only uh, just Myers in the series. And then there's some random person named Jenny that is in both. uh, The character's name is Jenny, and in the movie it's Lee Taylor Allen and then Amber Rothwell, but those last two are only in one episode each. Okay. Hmm. And that's my fun story. Well, I appreciate your fun story. There's a very, there's some crossover of characters, but almost no crossover of actors. So, right. Yeah, just those two randomly. Just uh, Alexis Cruz and Eric Avari. So, what are we watching today? What are we talking about today? Today we are uh, talking about uh, SG1's first episode, Children of the Gods. And depending on where you watched it, you could have a Children of the Gods, Gods Part 1 as Episode 1 and Part 2 is Episode 2. Or it could all be one thing if you watched it on DVD. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I did watch the DVD version. So for me, it was one long episode. And I watched it on the Hulu. And apparently my version gets the full frontal nudity that I guess your version didn't. Is that right? <laughs> yes, that's right. There's no full frontal nudity in Bonus. the Hulu version of the show. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it with the full frontal nudity version. So I, well, I'm wondering how many other differences there might be um, between yeah. the two. So I guess we'll, we'll figure that out as we go yeah. along if... Uh, one of us is talking about stuff and the other one has no idea what is going on because that scene wasn't in their version or it's just me and i don't know what's going on (laughs) or that so we open uh the show on a group of military people sitting at a card table playing poker i'm guessing i don't know cards but it looked like some card game Yeah. yeah And they're they're all pretty unconcerned except for uh, the woman who is sitting there. Um, she must be new because she's like, "Is anyone worried we're gonna get caught doing this?" And then they're like, "Nobody ever comes down here. This thing is a money drain that's not gonna last very long." Is basically the gist of what I got from them. There's a big thing under a tarp, and the tarp starts to flutter, which she notices, and again she's dismissed by her fellow military people slash card players. But then it gets really crazy and it moves a lot and the ramp starts to shake. And so that's noticeable. And the tarp flies off of this big ring. Ah! We couldn't have, you know, who could have known that it was a ring under there, this big round thing in the corner with the tarp over it. (laughs) I never would have guessed. Everyone looks really scared. Um, One guy rushes off to go try to, like, make an emergency phone call, but he just drops the phone because they're all scared because what we know is the Stargate turns on, opens up, whooshes, and then there's a big puddly-looking thing there. The guys are just kind of standing there with their guns out, and the woman is very curious, so she makes her way up to to the the puddly thing. I'm just going to call it a wormhole. Can I just call it a wormhole? Go ahead. That's like one scene <laughs> from before they start calling it that. <laughs> she just she makes her way up to the wormhole, um, and she is very curious and has a lot of she has a bit of wonder about it. But unfortunately, then someone in a giant snake helmet comes through and grabs her. Uh oh! And then a whole group of them follows, including one guy with a wearing a gold snake helmet, and he issues orders in a language we don't know. In a weird echoey yes. voice. I feel like their, vo- their voice is kind of important for, that's the, true. for the gold guy, I yeah. guess. Although I guess we don't really know yeah, that like, yet. That's not how it is. <laughs> that's just <laughs> <not that. laughs> I'm good at sound effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, they open fire and there is gunfire and laser fire exchange between the snake soldiers and the other soldiers. Um, but he, the guy, they're able to finally call for help. But as the help is coming, the reinforcements are coming, but they are too late. The snake people make their way back through the Stargate with the female soldier. One extra note that I have here actually is just about their costumes, which we had talked about how much we liked the the costume department work uh, that was done in the last episode. The gold guy, I felt, was kind of ridiculous looking, (laughs) personally. I liked I liked his gold lipstick. I thought that was kind of cool, and I kind of wanted that. But what was weird to me is that because the they have like those giant headdresses on the giant snake headdresses on. Yeah. 
but they didn't retract all the way. So he was just kind of, when he opened the faceplate, he was just kind of wearing this giant helmet around his head. Make way for Dark Helmet. All rise in the presence of Dark Helmet. And to me, he came across as looking kind of like a kid wearing <laughs> an oversized helmet and like dressed up as an adult for Halloween. Basically, is just the impression that that's, I got from it. He just was fair. not at all intimidating as I felt like he was supposed to be <laughs> and just looked kind of ridiculous. But then the other guy, the other guy that was standing with him that took the woman, the, the female soldier captive, which I wouldn't bother mentioning her gender, but that does become important later. That character, when he opened his helmet, we see that he's got like this big gold brand in the middle of his forehead. And the gold guy says something to him in that foreign language. And we hear him say the word tilk, which probably wouldn't really mean anything to you unless you've seen this like a million times. But that actually tilk is that character's name. And he becomes pretty important later on. I didn't even hear him say that. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, he... you might not. It, that might not have been in your version because, uh, you know, that could be an extra scene that mine had that it, yours didn't. It could also just be the way my brain processes information <laughs> yeah, that I didn't that. hear tilk in there at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's also possible. We'll never know. The next thing that we do is go into an intro song and credits panning over a pharaoh face just like in the movie. Not as long as the movie one, but... Not as long as the movie one, no, <laughs> that is true. The movie one was was so long that, as I said, I skipped over it. We then end up at O'Neill's house, two L's. And we have a couple of military guys coming up to the house in a military-looking car they park in the driveway, knock on the door, and then from there we pan up to see that O'Neill is looking at a telescope. One of the guys gets out of the car and goes up to the roof. How he knew O'Neill was on the roof, I'm not really sure, but he made his way up to the roof and uh, asks if that's O'Neill. O'Neill says yes, but that he's retired. And he asks if they're there from the Air Force which the, the guy says, yes, they are. And O'Neill tells him, well, you should join NASA because that's, that's where all the, the action's going to be. Long story short here, O'Neill has to go see Hammond, who replaced General West, who is the guy in the movie that sounded just like Hammond. General West. <laughs> so you think you've solved in 14 days what they couldn't solve in two years? General Hammond? I'm start getting my thoughts together. So I guess that that kind of deep voice with the southern accent is a prerequisite for that job. <laughs> It could be. And we <laughs> learned that the reason that he's being asked to come in is because of the Stargate. Then we next jump to they're inside the complex again with the where the Stargate is. But they lead O'Neill down an elevator and then another elevator to get down to the floor. They're very far deep underground. O'Neill's like, I've been here before. I know this, guys. And they lead him to General Hammond. Then they had a discussion about what to do on their retirement because Hammond was about to retire and wanted to write a book. You ever think of writing a book about your exploits in the line of duty? I've thought about it, but then I'd have to shoot anyone that actually read it. And we introduced to, <laughs> to jokey, snarky O'Neill. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Snooky, snarky yeah. O'Neill and his dry wit. <laughs> Rywit, even. Yes, yes. Next thing that happens is they take O'Neill down to uh, see the dead guards that are in, I guess, that they have a morgue. We see that these people are not human because they have slits in their stomach, which I'm a, I, I majored in biology and I have a master's degree in biology and I've done tons of necropsies. So really, this shouldn't gross me out as much as it does. But I hate the slits in these people's stomach because it's just gross. It's just gross looking. Tropophobia is that thing where you like, where you don't like holes, where you can't stand looking at holes and they gross you out. Uh, And for some reason, that triggers my tropophobia. Yeah. Fascinating. I know. It's just gross and slimy in there, so... Also that, yeah, they're not slimy here in this (laughs) scene, but we'll get to that for sure. (laughs) Uh, Hammond tells O'Neill all about the firefight that happened. And mentions that they had these advanced weapons that we can't figure out how they operate. So he hands one to O'Neill, who then just cocks it like it's no big deal. They show his finger just pushing a button. So if all that is required to make the weapons operate is pushing a button, why couldn't the military people outside of O'Neill figure out how to make this weapon work? I don't know that they ever mentioned the name of the planet in the movie, 
but they talk about it Abydos, yeah. uh, with the name Abydos here. And O'Neill <laughs> specifies that the people on Abydos were, in fact, all human, even though these people that have come through and that ended up dying were clearly not, in fact, human. Hammond asks if O'Neill is sure that all of the people are dead, and O'Neill says that there's no way that they could have survived that nuclear blast. And here they discuss how glowy... Uh, Ra's eyes were and that this new gold guy also had those same glowy <gasps> eyes back into the hallway they're walking back to Hammond's office and O'Neill sees some familiar faces which we learn are Kowalski and Ferretti although again it's not the same actors so to me it never even registered that these were supposed to be characters <laughs> from the movie when I've watched this show before uh, Hammond asks about Jackson and O'Neill first wants to know why his men from that mission are being questioned. But Hammond is really insistent on learning more about what happened to Daniel Jackson. And O'Neill says that it's, well, it's all in the report. <laughs> it's, it continues to, to feature prominently that Jackson had allergies <laughs> because when they're talking about him, O'Neill specifically says he's a scientist. He sneezed a lot. Basically, Basically he was a geek. geek. Yeah. But he did say that after, after Hammond accused him of not liking Daniel Jackson, O'Neill said, well, he did grow on us after saving everybody's right. lives and, and getting us that back would, home. That would do it for me, I think. Yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty good reason to like somebody or at least not hate yeah, them. Yeah, I'm trying to think people I dislike most. If they saved me, I'd probably yeah. be okay with them at least existing somewhere. <laughs> That'd yes. be fine. <laughs> to say the least. Yes. <laughs> Um, from there, they go into a quick recap of the movie, but according to O'Neill's report, we learn that the bomb supposedly blew up the gate on the other side, as well as all of the people from Abydos and Daniel Jackson. Yes. They did not report what actually happened. Uh, he did not report what actually happened in his report. Yes. Hammond basically leads O'Neill down to view the Stargate where they are preparing another bomb to go through to O'Neill's surprise and dismay. Not just another bomb, but a, a bigger, bigger bomb. bomb. This one's a Mark V. The other one is apparently only a Mark III. Yeah, so they're sending a bigger, better bomb back through Yay. because they don't think Ra is dead and they need to take care of that. And O'Neill is like, well, actually, I need to make an amendment adjustment to my report that i made because it turns out that daniel jackson is not in fact dead the people in avidos are much very much alive however he is still sure ra is dead because he put a bomb up in his pyramid i almost called it a plane pyramid ship <laughs> Yeah, the one detail that O'Neill had left out is that the bomb, when it exploded, was yeah. up on a spaceship and not there yeah. by the gate. Because the people of Abydos are cool. We had no issue with them, so there was no right. reason to blow them up. Also, Ra had already yeah. taken off, and he was a threat. So, right. Hammond still thinks he's going to send the bomb through at this point, um, or at least is heavily considering it for the protection of Earth. And O'Neill is like, no, please don't. I don't know what he says exactly, <laughs> but Hammond ends up putting O'Neill in timeout while he thinks about it. <laughs> so moving forward to timeout, then uh, we have Kowalski there also in timeout for some reason, <laughs> but not Freddy. Yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't even get the impression that Kowalski was in timeout. I thought he was just visiting. I don't know. Oh, he was just there. <laughs> just, Maybe. Was, I don't it, know. It was a very relaxed timeout. And <laughs> <laughs> it was. Come and go. It's fine. Yeah. Well, Kowalski salutes O'Neill, and O'Neill says for like the third or fourth time that he's retired. Tired. Tired. I'm retired, Kowalski. Kowalski promises that during the questioning, he didn't didn't say anything. He didn't tell them anything about what really happened, even though O'Neill had already told them at this point. So it was a moot point. Anyway, you would think that that would come back to Kowalski and Ferretti, too, because apparently... Now, they've also lied for O'Neill, but I, I guess wondering they're not going to be why they weren't chastised yeah. for that. I don't know. Yeah. They reminisce about Skara, and O'Neill says that Skara reminded him of his own kid, 
And Kowalski's like, wow, I didn't even know you had a kid after that whole mission. I never knew. And O'Neill awkwardly mentions that his son unfortunately died. Hammond comes in and asks O'Neill for an estimate of about how many people they saw on the planet. And O'Neill thinks that it's probably somewhere around 5,000. So with a number that large, Hammond doesn't want to destroy them, thankfully. And O'Neill asks if he would be allowed to send a team through, which Hammond says is too dangerous. But O'Neill convinces him to try to let him send a message through to Daniel to at least see if Daniel Jackson's still alive. And of course, that message is in the form of a box of tissues because Daniel Jackson's allergies continue to be an important theme. (laughs) And somehow, if a box of tissues came through the Stargate, Daniel would know for sure that it was from O'Neill and not from anybody else that was on that mission. It's it's their little private joke that he had allergies, so... Right, yeah. And if Jackson is still around, he'll know what it means, says O'Neill. How would he know what that means? Like, this box of tissues, oh no, Earth is under attack. Yeah, I mean, I (laughs) I guess the gist is that it, what they're really hoping is Daniel will know it's from them and that it, the next people who come through will be okay. Uh, yeah, so presumably that would mean that he at least knows that they want to talk to him and that they're trying to communicate with him. So I'm guessing that's what they meant when they said that Jackson would know what it means. Uh, military guys are skeptical of waiting around for a reply, but of course it might take a little while because they have no idea if there's anybody just waiting on the side on the uh, the other side if they're just there or if it might take days for them to notice the box or, or what might happen so we have a very exciting scene of people just waiting around yes. for the gate and waiting some more finally the gate is triggered and we end up with an incoming wormhole and an empty box of tissues is tossed through with a written message saying thanks send more i have a question about this box of tissues yeah. It was empty when it came back through. It was pretty full when it went. Did Daniel waste all those tissues or did he have (laughs) that stuffy a nose that he blew through all of those? Or did he literally wait until he was finished using all the tissues to send a message back? (laughs) These are all valid (laughs) questions. I don't know. His allergies are pretty bad. So maybe he really did go through all of them in like a day. Maybe he was he was glad to have a break from using that nasty (laughs) handkerchief. (laughs) And he's like, yes, something that I can just dispose of. And so he went through them all in like a day and then was like, oh, no, I need more. This was very important question. (laughs) It was an important question. (laughs) At this point, O'Neill asks for permission to take a team through again. And this time Hammond agrees pending presidential approval. Very important. O'Neill is officially recalled to active duty, and they set a meeting for the next day to prepare for their mission. Um, And the next thing we know, it is the next day. They're all dressed in uniform now at a conference table. Um, I think it's Hammond, O'Neill, Kowalski, and Ferretti, and the other people who were kind of involved in the discussions. I can't remember people's names. Yeah, I didn't make yeah. an exact I, anyway. yeah, I don't know all the names either and I didn't make an exact um, list. So, but they do make Hammond does make note that they are waiting on someone else. They are waiting on uh, Sam Carter to join them. And then Carter walks in and oh my god. OMG. It's a girl. What? She's even got a skirt she's on. She's wearing a skirt. She's wearing a military Air Force uniform. This is scandalous. But she's a girl, even with her short hair. And she goes by Sam. I know. What's that about? I don't know. Trying to hide things, but don't worry. She tells Kowalski she plays with dolls when she was little. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a prerequisite. Yeah, this was a very awkward scene. Like It really was. Like, I can't even imagine at the time it was on it not being super awkward. <laughs> But I feel yeah. like it's extra awkward now. Yeah, it really is. I very much agree. It's just a bunch of sexist Yeah, Christmas. and they're, the guys are kind of show-off-y, but they, honestly, Carter's the best. and She is. She doesn't back down, which I think yeah, is awesome. So, I mean, that's awesome. the point of the scene, I'm sure. She's super smart and doesn't take any of the crap the men are throwing at her. No, uh, absolutely and not. Like, Including when O'Neill addresses her as doctor and she's like, actually, I think the appropriate thing to do is address me by my rank, Captain. You should call me Captain, not Doctor. It's so great. Yeah, I thought that was pretty great too. And I think worth mentioning and probably nobody else cares, but I was interested that her 
official role as a scientist is as a theoretical astrophysicist. Yeah. Which is uh, complicated and means she's really smart. Yeah. But she still says, even though she's smart, she still says things like, just, just because, because my, my reproductive, reproductive organs, organs are on the are inside, on the inside <laughs> instead the outside. of the outside, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> but we also do learn that she's, she actually like does have some pretty badass credentials yeah. too, though, because she says she logged 100 hours in enemy airspace during the Gulf War. So she's not like the, she hasn't just been sitting in a lab or yeah. in a classroom this whole time. She actually does have combat experience. O'Neill tells her he likes women. He just doesn't like scientists. Yeah, and he, how he said that was yeah. so creepy, too. <laughs> I like women. That whole scene is just... Ah. Not workplace appropriate. No. <laughs> not, the, not the tone that he used when he said no. it. She said that she had actually been working on the Stargate for two years before the Stargate mission of the movie happened. And she was actually understandably pretty bitter about the fact that she was left out of that mission she should be to see, yeah she should be she, to go and see what's on the other side so they have a discussion about what to do um like hammond's in favor of actually burying the stargate but uh, it's carter i believe points out that it's known they're a threat now and that they also have spaceships which i think o'neill says like it's not mm-hmm. like burying the stargate's gonna solve their problems maybe that was all o'neill i can't remember yeah <laughs> Yeah, they, that was the basic gist, is that it would just take them longer to get there if they had to take their yeah. spaceships, but they could get there either so way. it doesn't matter anyway. Hammond was just like, I need to express my opinion, but it's already been overridden. The president's on your side, and we're going we're gonna to right. go through the Stargate. We're not going to bury yes. it. Uh, they are given 24 hours, apparently, and they're told that if they miss that window, then there's going to be a bomb sent through for real this time, no matter just, what, if they miss that window. They love bombs here. They do yeah. love their bombs. And then I think the next scene is them going back through the gate um, or right. going through the gate for the first time. Some of them, again, the military guys just kind of go through and the scientist again, kind of, she's a military person too, but you know, she's got a little bit of awe and she's, you know, feeling the wormhole portal. Yeah. <laughs> again, O'Neill continues to be a tool. And as she's trying to really appreciate the moment and how cool it is, he just yeah. shoves her through. <laughs> Lovely. And then we're on Abydos. Uh, This time, it's not dark, which makes no sense. Unless they move the gate, it's not completely dark in the room. I noted that, too. So they didn't need to light up their flares again. No flares this time. (laughs) Yeah. And I couldn't see, because I was kind of looking to see if there was somewhere light was coming from, because, I mean, there as we'll find out in a second, there are people in there. And it didn't look like there were, like, torches up or anything flickering and... When they show an outside view, like there's there's definitely no windows in the space. There's like the there's the big, um, the big entrance which doesn't have a door on it, but it's also at the end of a long hallway. So there really shouldn't have been any light coming into this chamber yeah. from anywhere. But there is. Mm-hmm. And waiting for them are all the locals, with guns at the ready. How how many guns did they leave behind? Like all of them are armed. Why did they leave so many guns behind? <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> Why would they? Like, I don't know. Yeah, so that made no sense to me. So they're all armed. We see Skara and Daniel. Skara, of course, salutes and then hugs O'Neill. <laughs> my, my notes say hugs O'Neill. It's <laughs> close. But, I mean, kind uh, of, hugs. you know. Ign- O'Neill entirely ignores Daniel because Skara is all about hugging him. I, I don't know. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Just... and, but they're all speaking English now. And I wanted to know... I was wondering because Jackson thought he was never going to see any of them again. So why did he bother to teach all of them English? And Jackson also fluently spoke their language at the end of the last movie. But throughout this entire uh, episode, he only ever speaks to them in English and they speak back to him in English, which makes no sense. Because why why would he be trying to basically Americanize them? I don't. It makes no sense. <laughs> I was wondering that too, but the whole episode is super weird about language. So it is because you have people flipping back and forth between their native tongue and English, but at times it seems like them speaking English would be wouldn't make sense. Like, why would they know the? It, this is later, but why would people know the language? And mm-hmm. then 
and you can't even go, oh, maybe it's a universal translator type situation with Star Trek, or we'll just ignore it altogether because everyone's just going to speak English because they flip around so much. It makes no sense. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. (laughs) But I generally ignore it, except for when I'm thinking about it. Meanwhile, while everybody is kind of getting reacquainted, Sam is totally nerding out over what will eventually be known as the DHD, the dial home device. And uh, mentions that this was missing on the Earthgate, which is why the Earthgate had to be hooked up to like all these computers in order to get it to work. But apparently this ring just has this kind of like a, a little podium that has the different constellations on it so that they can dial home. Touchtone phone. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like a touchtone phone. <laughs> to dial she home. also says they had to MacGyver a system on Earth. Ah. Oh, I, I missed that. <laughs> That's hilarious. I completely missed that line somehow. (laughs) O'Neill tells Jackson about the attack, and Jackson says that it couldn't have been from there because they've been taking six-hour shifts to guard the gate 24 hours a day. So we have another dinner party, like the last time that a bunch of people came from Earth. Yeah, it's it was pretty short, I feel like. It was... I don't know. They have a little bit of a discussion about what's going on, and Daniel mentions something about there being other stargates and everyone's like what 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 do you mean danielle impossible and he's like well hold on i'll show you what i mean from here he takes them to some sort of a shrine uh, dedicated to ra daniel said that he'd discovered it after he'd been doing some exploring when the others had left and this place is covered in hieroglyphics they ask if daniel had been able to translate it and he says kind of yes and no It doesn't actually say anything. He believes that it's actually a chart or a map, as he emphasizes. It contains a bunch of groupings of seven symbols and lines between them. So he believes that this is actually a vast network of stargates that go all over the universe. So she said that before they even got the stargate to work, as they did in the movie, they had tried all different kinds of permutations, but that it didn't work. Nothing worked except for that one signal uh, that took them to Abydos. And so they, Jackson and Sam have a little bit of discussion here about why that might be. So they start nerding out, bonding over the fact that they're both science nerds. And they, they figure that there must have been at least some universal expansion over the course of 50,000 years, which why we're talking 50,000 years instead of 10,000 years, I don't really know, but whatever. whatever. <laughs> maybe Daniel radiocarbon dated everything in there while uh, <laughs> Yes, maybe. <laughs> Maybe he uh, radiocarbon dated the quartz, <laughs> the quartz type stone yes. that they're saying all these things are made out of now instead of metal. <laughs> so they figure that the gate to Abydos must have worked because it was the closest to Earth, so it would have been less impacted by the universal expansion that's happening. Sam says that she can create an algorithm that would compensate for that expansion, and that would then make all of the other gate addresses suddenly start working oh again. Oh my god, that would be amazing! So exciting! Back at the gate. It starts to dial. The the folks who were in there guarding slash having a feast take cover. And we see the gate open and the same guys with their snaky helmets come through and immediately open fire on the people who are there. Which was so rude. I mean... why would you do that (laughs) yeah i don't yeah that's not really clear why they would just start shooting them all instead of taking some of them captive but yeah so then a gunfight ensues and a i don't know whatever the weapons are that they're holding laser things they're not really guns i've just been calling them staff weapons weapons. yeah we don't really have a name for them they're weapons and everyone's they're fighting and people die after the guards kick everybody's ass, basically with their with their staff weapons, um, they grab Sharae and Skara with the sparkle bling. The sparkle, sparkle bling, bling is back. Sparkle bling. Yeah, the uh, gold god guy has the sparkle bling on his hand, similar yes, to what Ra that's had in right. the movie. But instead of electrocuting them, he just kind of stuns them. Instead. Yes, the same guard who we see in the first scene too also questions Skara about where he got his weapons, <gasps> and then. The gold, the gold snake man. <laughs> I don't know. I just have him called gold guy in my uh, notes. I just, so actually just wrote gold works. is happy. 
He's happy with the kidnapping of uh, of Skara and Sheree uh, and says to her, you may be the one. You may be. I can't make my voice that deep. <laughs> that sounds very Cookie Monster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, demonic Cookie Monster, but... You, you may be the one. You may be the one. <laughs> cookie. C is for Cookie. That's good enough for me. <laughs> I have to be careful when I say that word. The dog's so excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except not when I say it in a demon voice, though. They're looking at me like, what is going I'm on? I'm mad I can't make my voice low enough to give that to do that justice. <laughs> you may be the one. Cookie. You may be the one. The sh- <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> so Goldie punches in symbols on the the DHD Goldie. while an injured Ferretti kind of looks on and they go back through the gate. I don't know why it exploded, but I just made it explode. Um, it didn't actually explode in case anyone's wondering like why did it explode? It didn't. <laughs> just like to make sound effects i don't know even if they don't make any sense at the time i appreciate your random sound <laughs> effects you. though that you use to narrate <laughs> back on earth they come through the gate and close the iris so we learn that an iris has been stalled that's made of pure titanium it kind of looks like the iris on a camera but like way with way more panels and it's spiky and intimidating looking yeah they update Hammond on everything that happened and about the kidnapping of Share and Skara. And Daniel insists that he has to be on the team that goes after Share and Skara. And, of course, Hammond is pretty pissed off, first of all, that he was lied to about what happened or that, that the mission log was lied about. Yeah, he's super grumpy. So Hammond, <laughs> Hammond is, was already pretty pissed that O'Neill had falsified his record in his report. So needless to say, he's not really too happy to be seeing Daniel Jackson either. So he says that Jackson really is in no place to be making demands. And, and that is the unceremonious end to part one from Hulu. Oh, <laughs> okay. Good to know. While Kathy was busy getting intro credits for her episode two, there, we had a couple extra scenes that were happening in my continued cut version, back at the military base, Freddie was hurt in the firefight earlier, but we learned that he's going to be okay. He is laying in a hospital bed unconscious. Kowalski's going to stay with him. Meanwhile, Jackson, Daniel Jackson, is in the hallway, kind of just looking like he doesn't really know what to do with himself, and so O'Neill decides to take him home. Huh. Back at O'Neill's place, Jackson has allergies, because of course... <laughs> Daniel tells O'Neill a little bit about his time after the mission, how the people of Abydos kind of viewed him as a hero and how much he really was truly in love with Share and they were they were so happy together, despite the the creepiness of how they got together with her essentially just being gifted to him. O'Neill, we learned that his wife had actually left him by the time he got back from the Stargate mission. She she forgave him for what happened to their son, to, to for the fact that their son had killed himself with O'Neill's service weapon, but she was just not able to forget it, O'Neill says, and he mentions that he's actually the exact opposite. He sometimes manages to forget what happened, but he can never forgive himself. That takes us to the unknown planet. The, the, the soldier who was kidnapped at the beginning was dra- is being dragged by the snake soldiers to the gold man. At some point, they've changed her clothing, so she's in some sort of, like, silky robe, I don't know, thing. But, yeah. yeah. But um, the gold man is completely out of his snakeskin armor, and he zaps her head again with his fun hand device. What were you calling it? Sparkle bling. Sorry, yes, that's a better word for it. So he zaps her with her sparkle bling and talks about how she could be the vessel for his future queen. And the clothing they changed her into is immediately discarded, so he can creepily look her over. Um, she's laid down on a table and another woman in a different room is brought in. She's pretty costumed, I don't know, dressed up, but she's, yeah. yeah she looks queenly, yes. I would say. And so she walks to the woman and makes some faces while she shows off her pouchy stomach. 
Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I just hate it something so slimy is coming out. <laughs> it's even worse. It just gets worse. Apparently that's his queen, maybe. We don't know. Oh. But the, the slimy thing that pops its head out. Yeah. So. Is like, nah, I'm good, and gets back in the pouch. So the woman's been rejected, our soldier, and Snake Gold, gold Snake Man just kills her. Shame. Meanwhile, Teal'c looks unhappy yes. in the background. <laughs> okay, meanwhile, back on base, Kowalski's still hanging with Ferretti in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then back in the meeting room, the, conf- the conference room, whatever, they're all talking about who could have possibly come through the gate. And they're still, you know, it's raw. It's not raw. And then Daniel's like, has a breakthrough. Gods. Plural. Plural. Yeah. Daniel explains that Ra is impersonating a god that humans had already. And that there may be more of them because humans have lots of gods. Yeah. And he mentions that the person, the the creature that we knew as Ra was supposedly part of a dying race, but... There must have been at least a few others left. If it wasn't a dead race, it was a dying race. So those other beings are now posing as other gods. Yes. Hammond basically tells them that they're going to form a unit with nine Stargate teams Mm -hmm. um, to find out what they can learn and bring back anything of use that they can find. And, you know, if possible... Uh, make peaceful contact with people of other worlds and determine if there are any threats. It's super secret. They can't tell anyone. Super secret. I don't know why I said that like that, but. <laughs> <laughs> we also learned, um, Sam mentioned briefly that she was able to make a bunch of calculations and put those into the computer. And she says that it's going to spit out two or three locations or two or three destinations for them each so month to cool. go and explore. And they have also the first team called SG-1. What? Where have we heard that before? Um, Will consist of Carter and O'Neill. And Jackson's like, I need to be on SG-1. And Hammond's like, no, you're going to stay here and be a consultant. And Jackson's like, absolutely not. For some (laughs) reason, Hammond gives in to Jackson's demands, although you don't find that out immediately. (laughs) We learned that Kowalski is going to be heading up SG-2. He looks so happy. He's so happy. So um, happy. My dog is happy. He's barking. <laughs> just so happy. Everyone should be happy for Kowalski. Yes. Good um, job, Kowalski. After this meeting, they go to see the newly conscious Ferretti, who is already, when they get there, hard at work putting in the coordinates he saw into the, com- yeah. into the computer he's been given. Why is he still intubated, though? He's conscious. He shouldn't. Slash, can't, you, you can't intubate a conscious person because their gag reflex kicks in, so he should not still have an intubation tube in his mouth, but he does. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not either, but still. <laughs> I demand more accuracy of my sci-fi, as I already mentioned yes. before. <laughs> Actually, I did too. <laughs> more scientific accuracy for my sci-fi. And then, again, now that they have the coordinates, they're given a go for their mission. Again, they get a hard 24-hour deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, this time, they're actually given a transmitter to send a code through when they're ready to come back so that they're allowed through. So they don't splat on the iris. <laughs> yes. After they're going through the gate, we're on a new planet again. Daniel sneezes and asks for a Kleenex because in case you guys didn't know, he has allergies. <laughs> um, we're back at... <laughs> <laughs> It's like, that's not a personality trait. Like, I don't understand. No, it's not. (laughs) They're not always talking about, like, Carter's blonde hair or something. Like, it's really... No. Anyway, sorry, that's not... That doesn't even have to... That's... It's bizarre. His uh, his Tinder profile would say, I sneeze. (laughs) I don't know. We go ahead, we go to what is essentially a harem of women where Share has been kept. So Share has been cleaned up and is also dressed up like the soldier had been before. Teal'c comes in and chooses Share to be the next offering. And then we go back to the gate where Daniel is 
trying to figure out where they are exactly and what this place is. He's thinking that it was a place of worship. And this time, for real, you guys, he can get them home. Yeah. And then, you know, Daniel tries to explain it. And O'Neill has no time for that shit. So. Right. <laughs> we don't know what happens because O'Neill cut him off. So. Right. Sam comes back up and mentions that she's put up a bunch of claymores all around them. And then we go back to the temple on the new planet. Share is fighting as she's brought up to be presented to uh, the the gold guy. And he sparkle blings Share in the face because, you know, where else else would you sparkle bling a person? They remove her dress. And this is where I learned that it was the showtime version because this is where the full (laughs) frontal nudity happens. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So they remove her dress and... The queen person is brought out and the, sh- the slimy monster thing comes back out and they, you know, they really make a big deal of grossing people out with the yeah. sliminess of the monster. This time, the monster is pleased, though, and crawls completely out of his former host and crawls just all over Share, who's still laying there kind of being so stunned. So they must have cut that out, too, of the Hulu one because we basically just got her screaming off scene off off camera oh okay they continue they were continuing to show um not full frontal nudity at this point but they were continuing to show her boobs at this okay. point so that's probably why they had to cut this out <laughs> tilk watches mm-hmm. the monster continues to crawl all over Share and makes its way up to- towards her face go over to look at tilk he's watching Share is flipped over by some attendants and the thing keeps crawling. This is wow. a pretty long scene. The thing keeps crawling over her and makes its way to her upper back. And then the eyes glowed on the little snake what? thingy. What? Which was awesome. I actually had to rewind it to see for sure. But its little eyes glowed, which was, even though it was kind of, the thing is kind of gross, I thought that its glowing eyes were actually kind of adorable. <laughs> so its eyes glowed as it punched its way into Share's upper back. She screams. Teal'c watches. Uncomfortably, I think he's not happy with what's happening, it looks like. Yeah, they, it, it's weird because they just keep showing, they, they keep cutting over to him just looking stoic yeah. on everything. But I, I'm sure that the, the idea we're supposed to be getting is that he really doesn't like or approve of anything that's happening. Yeah. And then we're back with uh, SG-1. They're trekking through, trying to figure out where they're going. Daniel and Carter are having a uh, conversation about, like, Sharae. Like, oh, how do you know Sharae? And he's like, Sharae was a gift. Literally. Ha ha ha. And Carter's so scandalized. Yeah, she's like, and you accept it, and you could hear the incredulity. But you <laughs> she's so don't mad. hear any more of the conversation because they're uh, interrupted because they see some people wandering around in robes and staffs i guess they're not really like wandering they're walking through they're not like lost or something it's kind of a purposeful walk there's a line of them (laughs) they know where they're going (laughs) yes um so they hide but daniel is not about that hiding life so he (laughs) goes to uh talk to them and speaks to them in english again because of course and they why would that be his default <laughs> again and yeah and he does he's he's you know telling them he's trying to communicate with them he does tell uh o'neill that they should probably avoid shooting them so as not to get a reputation for killing the people they meet on <laughs> yes. a planet um or kill it yeah i forgot how we phrased it but we do see here that the guys have the same gold marking on their yes. foreheads the same marking on their foreheads that teal has but instead of being gold like teal theirs is looks more like black uh, like ta- like normal yeah. tattooing they eventually managed to communicate somehow either in english and or in the other language <laughs> that daniel is looking for a village for them to take us to and so they point out a town and they set out for this town or yeah mm-hmm. and we also we also learn in here that the name of that town yes. is Chulak. that's right so in Chulak, the architecture looks really similar to either um, like Roman or Greek architecture. And we see in, inside the building that we're taken to, all the people are dressed in togas and have the same gold brands on their foreheads. SG-1 is brought in where to where this feast is happening and they're put at the head of the table. And Daniel says that they must be, everyone must believe that they're gods. They think we're gods. Okay, we're 
gods. Now what? Again. It happens so often. Again. Again. Ah. <laughs> always always Can't mistaken ever for just gods. And he doesn't even have an amulet no. this time. Can't ever <laughs> just leave the planet incognito and go your own happy way. No. Oh, it's all... Let's feast and let's worship. Let's feast yeah. and bow to us. <laughs> a, a horn blows and everybody bows down. Not to SG-1 yes. this time, but everybody bows down in general. And the SG-1 team also bows down because Daniel insists that they play it cool and do what everyone else is doing. Right. Some guards come in. The gold guy comes in. And so does Share, who is now all dressed up like a yes. queen. Daniel leaps up. And is told to kneel, but he doesn't, of course. And he's like, Share, it's me. Don't you know me? Share doesn't recognize him. And we see that her eyes are glowing like the gold guy and like Roz did. But as Daniel runs towards her, she actually goes ahead and steps in front of the gold god, uh, essentially protecting him with her body, which, of course, Daniel finds to be super disturbing and disconcerting and because he's so taken aback by that, he's taken down by the guards. Back on Earth, they are nervously waiting for the team to return and talking about how little time is left. And then we go back to Chulak, and SG-1 is now in prison. Not a water prison this time. <laughs> the gate, we learn the gate's going to be sealed in about 90 minutes. They're smarter about their so... water resources on this planet. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But this isn't even a desert, so they probably don't need to be quite as careful, but they are. So that's good. Conservation is key. Maybe that's why the other planet is a desert, because they weren't careful with their water. <laughs> it could be. That's how deserts are formed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's totally how deserts work. <laughs> Tilk comes up and is speaking English and wants to know where SG-1 got their technology and is looking at O'Neill's watch as he asks that. Yes. Now, they try to say that they're from Earth, but Tilk says that that doesn't mean anything. So Daniel draws the symbol for Earth in the dirt, which Tilk does seem to understand, but then wipes it out with his staff weapon. We do also, Tilk also mentions Goa Uld technology, which is a word we have not heard oh, before. He yeah, he said this isn't... Okay, I didn't hear that in oh, my version, so maybe it was different in yours, because they mentioned Gould yeah. later, but yeah. not here. So, Tilk mentions that word, and we're like, oh, Gould. What? Oh. Who's that? Or maybe I just was so used to the word that it didn't maybe. register. And then we get a brief look at SG-2, who's endured a cold, windy night, and they're worried about SG-1, and Kowalski remains committed to the fact that they are not abandoning SG-1. Yeah, O'Neill had specifically given him a direct order that they were to head back for the deadline no matter what, even if SG-1 wasn't back. But Kowalski says that's not going to happen. Yeah. He's not going to leave O'Neill so, behind. He's very he's dedicated. very dedicated. That's, that's yeah. admirable. So they're back in the prison kind of looking around to see if they can find an escape. They talk about how this is not Ra. Daniel explains this is actually... The symbol, the marking, is for Apophis. 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 We finally yes. have a name for the gold guy instead of just Goldie or Gold Guy. <laughs> just call him Gold Snake Man forever. I don't know. <laughs> I like Gold Snake Man better. <laughs> um, Daniel explains that uh, Apophis is a serpent god who ruled the night while Ra ru ruled the day. Um, and that that comes from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And then... Skara is talking to O'Neill as well during this time, or Skara talks to O'Neill and is like, we're going to save Share, and O'Neill's like, well, maybe not. And Skara's <laughs> like, what? And O'Neill can't say no to Skara, so he's like, we'll try. Apophis's guards come back, and they announce that the Goa Uld, I don't know, whatever, they're going to choose the children of the gods from among the prisoners. So they bring in an elaborate box which is carrying apophis and Sharae. a large box not a small you know it's box. a big elaborate box <laughs> they fit in it <laughs> it's a litter i think that they're actually called which i never knew until what Game is it called i think they're called a, a litter. litter interesting yeah i have a lot of litter in my house yeah <laughs> <laughs> both of a, a cat waste variety and my own trash so i'm swimming in it over here um, so Apophis and Sharae arrive in their litter. Um, Daniel needs, Daniel needs to be held back and that's part of it, but 
uh, more of of the of Apophis's people come in and they start moving through the crowds inspecting people. I just need to mention here how I continue to not like the costume design that's happening in this episode because their hats are so dumb and huge. <laughs> I found it so, it just was so distracting to me. Like Apophis's hat looks like giant mouse ears. It's me, Mickey Mouse. But instead of facing forward, they're facing <laughs> sideways. But like they just it just had these like big concave circles on either side and Shari is wearing like the Sydney oh. Opera House on her head. <laughs> <laughs> But made out of purple metal, or I don't remember what color, but like some colored metal. I just, I, I, I it just seemed so ridiculous to me. They looked so stupid. <laughs> you can continue. So these people in their ridiculous hats wander through the crowd <laughs> looking for their children. Um, Daniel, at some point, you know, keeps trying things because she wants Shari back and he desperately is like something of the host must survive but not in that sad way I just said it but like it was sad it was sad and Tilk shakes his head no which yeah. is sad but then while that's happening they decide Skara is going to be one of their kids oh no so they take Skara away and Apophis has no use for the rest of them so he orders his guards to kill everyone else and they leave the uh, all of the servant leader people, uh, all of all of Apophis's ruler people. I don't. <laughs> all all of those people leave. The guards, the snake guards, stay, and they're preparing to fire upon these innocent people trapped in here. And Teal'c looks at O'Neill. O'Neill looks at Teal'c. O'Neill's like, "I can save, save these people. people. Help me. me!" To which, of course, Teal'c responds. Many, Many have, have said, said that. that. And then he tosses a staff weapon to O'Neill and they fire their weapons. And Tilk says, but you're the first I believe could do it. Yay. So they uh, they very quickly kill all of the other guards. <laughs> they take out everybody. Yeah. The two of them take on like 20 people. Extremely impressive. Well done, guys. Yeah. yeah. Is it that they're that good or were the other guards that inept? I don't inept? know. I, don't I wonder know. how hard it is to see through those uh, helmets. Probably yeah. pretty hard. And th- those helmets also had glowing eyes. So I wonder if like the eyes glowing inside the helmet gave like a weird, a weird lighting effect inside the helmet to make it hard for those poor guards to it see. It does seem like a silly way to have guards. Yeah. But... Like in like in space movies where the person's face is always lit up inside their helmet and that would make it like impossible for them to see anything outside yeah. their helmet because it's just reflecting back their own face at yeah. them. So that might be what happening. They just couldn't see their victims, yeah. so they just right. let themselves die. And then O'Neill blasts a hole in the back wall of the prison. A stone wall, too. So these weapons must be yeah. pretty potent if they can do that. This is the first time we've seen them doing something as uh, forceful as that. Yeah. And so uh, they all of the prisoners escape through there. Um, the guard, uh, Tilk. So he's sitting there surveying what he's just done, and O'Neill's like, you can come with me, it's cool. And he, uh, the guy is like, I have nowhere to go. And O'Neill's like, you can stay at my place. <laughs> so then they introduce themselves. <laughs> he's Teal'c. And then they're off. Fleeing. On their way back to the gate, Teal'c says that he's a Jaffa, and they are bred to serve so that the gods may live. He shows that he, too, has a nasty pouch, and I love everyone else's reaction here because they're all freaking out and screaming <laughs> at, at the appearance of Teal'c's pouch, and we see that he has an infant Gua'uld. So this is the larval form of the god, so basically the same snake-like thing, but much smaller. Yeah. Everyone flips out and is grossed out, and they're like, put that away! <laughs> Actually, they're like, get rid of it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, O'Neill's like, why do you, why do you carry that thing? But Teal'c says that Al Jaffa carry them to maturity, and in exchange, they get perfect health and long life. But without that larval Gua'uld, he would die. So it's kind of like a troll thing. If anybody watches Star Trek, where the the troll can't leave without their symbiote, same thing here with the Jaffa. Back at the gate, Skara and a bunch of people that were, um, you know, a bunch of the, the higher ups in this monarchy are beamed down from a ship 
in front of the gate. And then Sharae and Apophis also beam down with some guards around them. The ship goes after SG-1, Teal'c, and the prisoners and fires on them. Everybody scatters. Teal'c and O'Neill fire their staff weapons at the ship. And all kinds of chaos is happening at this point. At the gate, Apophis and Sharae are dialing to go to the next planet, wherever that ends up being. SG-2 comes out of nowhere and saves the day, taking down the ship that was attacking SG-1 and everybody else. Yes! Yay! Apophis and Sharae go through the gate, and then O'Neill gets back to the gate just as Skara is about to go through with his new family. And unfortunately, we see here, when Skara turns around, he has the glowy eye syndrome, and he also has his own sparkle bling and sends O'Neill flying before he then goes through the gate with his, uh, I guess, his new parents and their guards. O'Neill says that he didn't catch the symbols to see where they went, so they're kind of at a dead end here. Uh, back on Earth, we're, we learn that the deadline has come and is is now just past. But Hammond wants to wait another minute. We flash back to Chulak, where more enemies are approaching, and Daniel is sent to dial the gate while a firefight ensues. We flash back to Earth again. Hammond gives the order to lock out the device that is going to open the iris when the teams come back through flashback to Chulak, the gate is dialing and there's firefighting happening and then back on earth we get an incoming wormhole warning and hammond says to play that order to lock out the iris code so they're gonna let the iris open sam's code does successfully yes. reopen the gate yay sam and the prisoners are able to run through the gate while o'neill tilk and sg2 hold off the enemy firefighters enemy enemy firefighters enemy fighters they're not firefighters they're fighters daniel helps to get the refugees through the gate while they continue to fight off the bad guys that are coming some of us one of sg goes down and an enemy is taken down by one of the fugitives and that enemy has his own guauld who jumps out of the enemy's pouch and oh he jumps into kowalski and kowalski is taken over by the guauld no no Teal'c comes through the gate and everyone is just about to fire on him because, of course, they had weapons at the ready since they didn't know who was going to be coming at the gate, uh, coming through the gate when it was dialed in before. Thankfully, they were able to get everyone to hold their fire before they kill Teal'c. And then the rest of SG-2 and the rest of the prisoners make it through. The iris is closed and the wormhole is disengaged. Everyone is safe. Relief, kind of. Yes. Um, There's lots of hugs and gratitude expressed they start to Mm -hmm. work on their wounded um hammond is pissed that they have this enemy guy yes (laughs) (laughs) so they do have to explain what just happened and how teal helps everybody and uh o'neill says that teal is going to be uh joining us on sg1 (laughs) did they even ask teal if that's what he wanted i that doesn't seem to be a conversation that we had, and Tilk actually even seems a little surprised by that, as is everybody else. There's not anything else. else going on anymore, so... <laughs> I guess not. So yeah, so Tilk is part of SG-1 now, Which, moving again, forward. again, like, Hammond just rolls over and lets people do whatever they want. <laughs> oh, all right, whatever you say. <laughs> we see Kowalski hanging out by the gate, so he did come through the Stargate, and he is kind of at the top of the ramp, looking a little sketchy. And everyone asks if he's all right, and he says he's fine. O'Neill and Daniel reflect on the fact that they need to find Sharae and Skara. And then we exit out of the episode with a close-up of Kowalski's face. And we see his eyes light up. No! What's going to happen? Who knows? Also, how do these people not have gaping wounds in their heads from these things jumping through? Do they, like... (laughs) A valid question, but um, Tilk does mention, though, that they get long life and good health. So I'm thinking that possibly the Gua'uld, the little, the little uh, juvenile Gua'uld heal yeah. their new host, but like, kind of right away. Is there no, know. like, blood flecking out or anything? Like You would or- think. Yeah, you would think that there should have been, Some like, some blood exploding out. evidence of a out. wound, like, even if it was just yeah. dried blood on him. That's a good point. It, there should have been a lot of blood, given how deep <laughs> these things have to go. But that's, you know, 
that's just a, a yeah because they've got to be buried in there pretty deep because like once they're in there you can't like there's not a bulge no. in the person's back to show where it is so it's got to be yeah. deep in there there should have been a lot of blood <laughs> that's a good point that's okay that's not a huge issue <laughs> yeah so let's take a look at what's coming up next in for me episode two for kathy episode three Ooh. of season yeah. one of sg1 i think i might end up getting the dvds because i hate watching it on hulu i can't especially because i'm paying for the cheapy version of hulu so it's got com- or I, oh, yeah. um so if i upgraded it i would I probably have to pay full price for hulu and i don't want to do that yeah <laughs> but anyway that's my that's my fun note i'm probably gonna end up buying the dvds because i just can't yeah i can't it's probably better if we have the same version oh, anyway. Fair. So. <laughs> so the next episode is The Enemy Within. O'Neill and the SG-1 team must attempt to remove a gold larva that has infected Kowalski's brain, but time what? is running out. <laughs> Exclamation point. <laughs> oh my goodness. What's going to happen? We might never know. Oh wait, we will because we're going to do another episode. <laughs> goodness, I hope so. <laughs> yes yeah. indeed yeah so speaking of that our production schedule we are gonna drop um we will have already dropped by the time that you heard this both our pilot episode which is the movie and this episode episode one and then we're gonna be releasing episodes every other week so bi-weekly basis yeah. in the meantime between episodes if you're interested you can email us at uh stargatesing at gmail.com s-t-a-r-g-a-t-e-z-i-n-g you can also find us on twitter at, at Stargatesing, again, S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E-Z-I-N-G. And we've gone ahead and, even though it's early, launched a Patreon. So patreon.com slash Stargatesing, same spelling. Hi. I am Mary, and this has been my co-host, Hello. Kathy. I mean, goodbye. Are... Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> Go ahead. That's fine. And you're listening to Stargatesing. Yes. And I'm, I don't know. <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> If I'm emphasizing star, it comes out stargatesing. And then oh. if, and then if I'm like stargatesing. Stargatesing is weird because you don't say stargazing. 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 I stargazing. 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 <laughs> so it'd be stargazing. Stargazing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>